0: And welcome to the animated journey a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television film and games i'm your host angela ensminger and this month and next month there are all sorts of wonderful animation events happening in the los angeles area and all of the animation events that i am mentioning will be listed in the show notes first up on friday april 21st usc that's the university of southern california will be presenting First Frame, which is their showcase of all of their student films. I had the opportunity to go last year, and it was a fantastic program. There's a wide range of short films, including stop-motion, 3D, 2D, hybrids, everything in between. I know you guys will love it, so make sure to check out USC First Frame. The following week, CTN, that's the Creative Talent Network, is having their road trip in Burbank. And what that is, it's a wonderful art fair and it's actually encompassing all of the arts within the city of Burbank. So part of it is an animation and illustration show and then part of it are other artisans from around Burbank. So you're basically getting two different shows all in downtown Burbank. It's very exciting. You'll be able to have a chance to meet many of your favorite artists and purchase their books and various artworks so make sure to check that out the dates for that are saturday april 29th through sunday april 30th and then following that on may 5th there will be two gallery openings the first one is project neverland they're going to be having their opening reception and that's at CSG Gallery in Burbank. And the second will be the Truth Be Told Gallery opening reception. And Truth Be Told is a fundraising gallery, and the proceeds will be going to the Center for Investigative Reporting. And that'll be held over at the Animation Guild. And both of these events will be held at the same time, but they're also both in Burbank, very close to one another. So you can go to one and then go to the other one, whichever one you wanna go to first. And at both of these gallery shows, there'll be refreshments. You'll have an opportunity to talk to various artists. And again, as I mentioned up top, all the websites for all of the events will be in the show notes. So you'll be able to click on those. So if you're in the Los Angeles area or you are planning a trip to L.A. or you're thinking, I should go to L.A., when should I visit? The next couple of weeks are a great time for you to come on down and see what L.A. is all about. And now I'm very happy to bring you part two of my interview with Ed Hooks. And part two starts off right where part one left off. So in this part two, Ed and I are discussing animation and where the industry is going. And also we talk about Ed's upcoming book. It is a great conversation. So without further ado, I present episode 41, Interview with Ed Hooks, part two. That makes a lot of sense. And I like that. I like that perspective. You know, I like the idea of you're not just trying to make a thing for the sake of making a thing. You know, this isn't making widgets. You know, you're actually, you're instructing people and you're helping people and you're showing people something about themselves that maybe they don't even know about themselves. But the only way that you can do that is, is if you're actually true to who you are. You're not just like, well, I could do this, which means a lot to me. Or I could do this other thing, which could make a lot of money. And that can be hard, I know, for a lot of people, because they want to make great art, but they also have student loans and bills to pay. And it's this mm-hmm. thing of how do, I, how do I create something great and beautiful and helpful and also earn enough so that I can make a living too, you know? And it's a, definitely a
1: balance sometimes. Well, it is. But, you know, the technology has gotten to the point where you and eight of your friends can get together in your garage and make a movie. The technology is there. Artists of all kinds, not just animators, but artists of all kind have had trouble uh, making a living. And in the United States, I mean, particularly in the United States, we don't support the arts. I was reading the other day that in France, France spends... $500, Five hundred dollars, it's five hundred and some change, five hundred and twenty-five dollars about per capita for the people of France on art support it was five hundred dollars. The United States spends forty-five cents. Oh geez. I'm serious. This is a fact. I'm not making it up. I just read this. It's five hundred dollars in France, it's forty-five cents in the United States. We just don't care. Our idea of art is it's not worth anything unless somebody will pay for it. And if they pay for it, it must be good art. That's the way we think. And so what's happened here is we've got a a whole lot of people that just are not being fed thoughtful material. They're not being given things that take them to death. Now, live action film does it. Animation is the problem I'm talking about. We do have some v- quite good live-action filmmakers. And, I mean, I've, Birdman, I thought Birdman was uh, awesome. A number of them, but they do, they, you know, there are live-action filmmakers. But animation tends to sit in the kitty corner, and it needs to come out of there because it's such a powerful uh, art form. And you make
0: a good point, too, about getting eight friends together. It's funny, I actually was having a very similar conversation yesterday with one of my guests that's going to be coming on the next couple of weeks. And Mm -hmm. we were talking about just how amazing it is where now, if you have a computer, you can make a movie from your house. And that was just unheard of not too long ago. Just the ability, I mean, you can just You don't even have to outright buy the software. You know, you can get a subscription for a month Mm -hmm. and you can teach yourself animate. You can teach yourself harmony. You can teach yourself TV paint and read Mm -hmm. a bunch of books and watch a bunch of YouTube videos and go outside and observe people and just make a thing. And, you know, who knows how many people will watch it? Who knows how well it will do? But you can just make your own Stuff And I find that very interesting, too, because, you know, we get a lot of people asking, like, how do you get into the industry and what do you do? And it's like, I hear so many people saying, if you make your own film or movie or comic or whatever, people will notice if you're just going ahead and doing it. And then you can say whatever you want, because you made
1: it, you own it, you can have it be whatever you want it to be. That's right. I mean, I, what I see is when people, they especially like with short animations, you know, because animators like uh, short animations, too many of them will spend time trying to figure out what they think will sell. They try to, okay, well, you know, they, I'll make this because this will be cool. I can do this. And I say to them, you know, when you're trying to come up with ideas, things to, to make a movie about, what do you care about? What's important to you? Is there anything that you would die for? What would you put your life on the line for? What do you care about? And that's what you need to make a movie about. That's your story. And people say, well, I care about some things, but I don't know if anybody else might care about these same things. And I say, oh, yes, they will. It's those times when you feel like you're telling secrets about yourself when you're actually closest to the gold. It's acting and storytelling, really good storytelling is a process of exposing. It's not a process of hiding, it's a process of truth telling and seeing, as Leonardo said, uh, being able to see. And then to share that with the tribe, put a circle in the dirt. What do you have to say? We're in trouble. What do you think? We need more of that. And I think you should make a movie, Angela.
0: Oh, I'm working on it. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. That is a, one of my New Year's resolutions: is to make an animated short. And mm-hmm. it, you know, I already know it's like I know it will take me a while. I'm projecting somewhere between one to three years, but I'm very excited about it because I thought, you know mm-hmm. what, I made a short in college. It was fun. I'm out of college. I have a lot more resources now. I've learned mm-hmm. more about how all of this works. I could make something better than mm-hmm. when I was in college. And it can mm-hmm. be more personal. And someone, and I forget who it was, and I need to find out who it was, but I heard someone say once that the more personal something is to you and the more true it is to you, the more universal it will actually be.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And I remember hearing that thinking, that sounds really counterintuitive, but then every creator I've ever heard who has said, I made this for me, or we made this for us, Mm -hmm. people respond to that. They see something in that. And I want people to have, I want them to be able to see it and go, I understand this. I relate to this. I have felt
1: this way. Exactly, and what you will feel as an artist when they respond like that is you will feel psychologically visible,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and that's what it's all about is to communicate, is to be is to be seen in a psychological way. It's very hard to wear who you are on your sleeve because a lot of people won't like it, but it's okay. Do it. It takes courage to be truthful. And good art is just simply truthful.
0: What are some yeah. other things you feel animators need to understand about that? Because you talked about, you know, psychologically visible, you've talked mm-hmm. about the present moment. Are there things that you've noticed that just consistently when you're teaching your course, you find that, oh, this is a stumbling block that I can help yeah. them with?
1: Well, the most one of the most common errors that I see a lot of people have the idea uh, that about that acting is all about the words part of this is because the dialogue tracks are usually recorded in advance and then the animators put the headphones on and then they animate to the voice tracks and so they the suggestion the implication is that the words must be the most important thing and that the word the animation is here to support that In fact, our sense of sight is many more times powerful than our sense of hearing. And what an audience sees is far more important than what they hear. You can show an audience one thing, tell them something else, and what they see is going to override what they hear. And so number one, I think that a lot of, especially new animators, don't really appreciate the power that they have in the visual images that they're creating. Here's an acting principle that you'll appreciate. This Angela Miyazaki was asked one time, "What is the difference between his animation and Western animation?" And to answer the question, he began to clap his hands very rhythmically, just you know, just just like this, He's clapping his hands like that. And he says, "When I clap my hands, what you hear is the sound of the clap." You don't hear what's in between the sound of the clap. And he said, in Japan, we have a name for what's in between the sound of the clap. We call it ma, like mama, ma. And he said, Western animators are afraid of ma. They think you have to keep making the sound of the clap, otherwise you'll lose your audience. He said, I disagree with that. I think that if you fill ma with thought, intention, emotion, you will not lose your audience. And I agree with Miyazaki 100% on this. So I see animators wanting to make physical movement, a lot of physical movement, often too much physical movement on just every syllable of every word. They just they want to move the character. Animating is moving, and they want to move the character around. And stillness, you can have a lot of stillness in animation that's extremely powerful, and that's one of the big lessons. One of the things that I see is that this tendency to over-gesticulate the characters, to over-animate. The most powerful acting is in between the lines, is in between, it's in the quiet moments. Acting is reacting in a way. You mentioned Red Turtle, you're going to find that that's what that's all about. I remember I got an email from, uh, I have an email exchange with Michael to Dr. DeWitt, the guy who directed Red Turtle, and he told me one day, while they were in production, he said, I just spent the entire morning in the recording studio, recording breathing, just breathing. He said, no dialogue, just breathing. And he said, it's amazing how the sound of breathing triggers empathy. And I thought, absolutely it does. <laughs> That was a very, see, this is one of those things, knowing how to see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Michael understood he could see something there. And that's right. It will trigger empathy. And you'll find that in Red Turtle, there's a lot of that type of thing, will you? It's stillness and the sound of breathing.
0: (laughs) That makes a lot of sense, because I think about most American animation, and I love American animation, But you're right. It's very frenetic. If we stand still, the audience will quickly lose interest and they'll zone out or they'll change the channel. So we constantly have to have, and this is live action too. You know, you see all these quick cuts and rapid movement and everything going back and forth. And sometimes that can be very cool, but other times you're watching it going, I don't know what I'm seeing and I don't know where I'm supposed to look and I don't quite yep. get what's happening here. I just see a lot of stuff happening yep. on the screen.
1: Yep. 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 Uh, you're absolutely right. It's over the top. It's uh, A lot of this work is made for audiences that don't have, they've been coached into not having much of an attention span. And so you have to keep, dangling shiny things in front of them otherwise they'll they lose interest like a baby look the other way and that's what i see most of television uh, is like that most of the the tv stuff the movies often you know the big budget movies are like that is they're just dangling shiny things in front of the audience for a couple of hours and then and then sending them on out of the theater
0: so your task, and, uh, then, animators, is to coach them back.
1: Well, let's, to go full circle here, when I mentioned Aristotle, I mean, this is like the fourth time I've mentioned Aristotle in here. But I tell my, my students in my, in my class, the, uh, the acting for animators class, I say, look, you ought to be able to freeze frame a character at any time and ask that character, what are you doing And the character should be able to answer in theatrical terms. This is the objective that I'm pursuing. This is the action I'm playing to achieve that objective. And this is the obstacle or conflict that I'm overcoming. You need action and pursuit of an objective while overcoming an obstacle. One of the big problems I see in a lot of animation is that in order to give a character personality, the animators will try to show emotion. They'll have the characters acting sad or acting happy or expressing emotion one way or the other. The fact is that emotion is not actable. Acting is doing. Emotion tends to lead to action. And the doing doesn't have to be overly physical, but it does have to have intention. Action in pursuit of objective, overcoming an obstacle. As Aristotle said, every human action has a purpose. It's as simple as that. And yet, I I will show in my classes, I'll show us a clip from something, from one of the movies from, uh, you know, a DreamWorks movie or something else show a clip and I'll say to them what is the character doing and they'll say well the character he's just very sad you know he's having a bad time you know his friend left him he doesn't know where the friend he's how—he's sad I say right he's sad so what's he doing well he just is, feels terrible I know he feels terrible so what's he doing well well he's sad I understand he's sad <laughs> what's <Six. laughs> What's
0: behind the sadness? It's like, come on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What's he doing? Is he trying not to cry? Is he deciding where he might look for his friend? What is he doing? Acting is doing. It's not acting is feeling. Actors operate and animators operate in an arena of emotion. We are athletes of the heart, but acting is doing. As simple as that. And animators need to learn how to do that. Let me give you another, I'm going to tell you another one. I'm going to tell you another one. I work at a lot of animation festivals and animation conferences around the world. And I was at one over in uh, England. And as what happens with these things, uh, they have the the organizers have dinners and they sit you at the table with one of the other speakers. So I was sitting at the table with a speaker that will be nameless for this moment here, but I didn't know that person. And so we had our dinner in front of us and he introduced himself to me and uh, said that he was the uh, head of animation on Big Hero 6. And I said, "Oh, so he didn't know that I had written an article that was pretty negative about Big Hero Six. <laughs> and so it hadn't been published yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was going to, it ran in Cartoon Brew, uh, but it hadn't been published yet. And uh, I didn't want to ruin his dinner. So I said, I said, "Oh, Big Hero 6. I said, "Oh, you know what's my favorite? sequence i said there's one wonderful sequence in that movie that i just love and he says oh no what was that and i said it was uh, it was that time when baymax the uh, you know the inflatable thing there mm-hmm. uh, started deflating he lost his power and he seemed like he was drunk and they had to get taken back and get him plugged into the wall so we could recharge him but he was, he seemed very drunk and he was, uh, uh, you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I remember that scene. He kind of yeah. starts leaning over and, yeah, and Hero's exactly. freaking out. <laughs> That's right. And you mm-hmm. see, we, you and I, we can even talk about it and we both remember it. It was very vivid. That was a very good scene, that whole sequence. And uh, and I said, man, I thought it was really good beginning to end, that whole thing there. And, uh, you know, congratulations on that. And he said, oh, well, thanks very much. We appreciate that. And then he offered, he said, well, you know, it wasn't always like that. I said, oh, it wasn't? He said, no. He said, in the beginning, we had uh, Baymax in a shopping cart. I said, uh, really? He said, he said, yeah, he was in a shopping cart. And then one day... Somebody took him out of the shopping cart, and he said, "We said, well, that's better." And I said, "I said, right, yeah, it would be better." And you know why? And he said, "Well, we just thought it was funnier. It was just, it just worked. It was just worked a lot better when you know it was funny. We we all agreed." I said, "Right, yeah, it would be." You you know why? And he said, "Well, we just were in agreement about it. Everybody you thought see. that it was." And it came clear to me that he did not know why huh. it was funnier. And the answer, do you know what the answer is? I don't want to put you on the spot. I told you the answer a minute ago mm-hmm. when I was giving you a principles of acting.
0: Yeah. Well, he was doing something.
1: He wasn't just sitting there, there in go. the cart. That's right. When he's in the shopping cart... If you freeze frame him and you say, what are you doing? He could only say, I'm waiting for Hero, the boy, to get me back, to plug me in, to get me some more charge. He would not be able to answer the question in theatrical terms, what am I doing? This is fundamental acting theory. Now, I don't know how much money Disney spent animating Hero in a shopping cart, But I'll bet you it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they did that before they figured out. And then it was just happenstance. It was a story, one of the storyboard people, somebody like that that said, try taking them out of the shopping cart. This is just basic acting craft, basic acting principle. And here you got a guy who had a very executive position on that movie and did not understand that basic acting principle he was working on his gut he was working on his hunch of what worked and what didn't this is funny this is not i could tell it, it sort of becomes a uh, there's no technique there there's no uh, there's no underpinning if they just apply basic acting principles they never would have put him in a shopping cart in the first place i see this all the time and it frustrates me but of course that's i'm in a position to where i can where I can I can teach it. And so and so I do. And speaking of craft too, I want to talk about cuz
0: you have a new book out. And I do. I'm really excited about it cuz it's going to be arriving at my home very soon. So I want to know if yes. you could talk about that. It's Craft Notes for Animators and I'm very interested in hearing about this particular book cuz you've written several books at this point, all of them very very good. So What in particular is this one about and how is this one different from acting for animators?
1: Well, I tell you what it is. It's, it's, uh, as you and I have been talking about, I mean, I believe that the animation industry is changing Mm -hmm. and becoming less Hollywood centric. And I think that a new animator today would be smart to actually go back and revisit Walt Disney himself because... Walt Disney did not have any precedent for what he did. When he made Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the one, there there was no marketing department to tell him about the dwarfs were going to be huge. Although he might have had some sense that they might, but he would he, there was no, that wasn't why he did it. There had never been a feature animated feature film like that. And so, he was the first. He was a pioneer. And I maintain that today's animators are in a similar kind of a place where Hollywood is doing what Hollywood's doing, and animation as an art form is just now being born, just now getting off the ground, and that animators today are pioneers the same, in the same way that Walt Disney was. And so this career arc of uh, animation students and new students, I, I, it has been that they go to school, they get out of school, and then they go get in line at the employment office at Pixar, or they get in, in line at the employment office at Disney. And I think they're going to find different kinds of production models that they're coming into. They're going to be finding smaller movies that are trimmed to particular demographics I think animation as an art form is just now getting born. And I don't think there's very much precedent. People are on their own. And so in Craft Notes for Animators, I go back and I I do a complete acting analysis of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, explaining how it reflected Walt Disney's personal values. Because what he did was he took that old Grimm's fairy tale And he changed it quite a lot to make it fit his particular view of life. I mean, his religious ideas, uh, it's full of all of this. And so what I do is I I go through and I itemize it all. I show them in scene by scene, sequence by sequence. And also I point out to them that Walt Disney signed that movie. It's not Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. It's Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And I say to people, Would you sign? Would you put your signature on everything you do? Would you do it? Walt Disney would, because it reflected who he was. He felt psychologically visible in his work. He was expressing his values. And so in Craft Notes for the Animators, it's divided into three main sections. The first section is all about Walt Disney and his values. It's not about the production of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. There's plenty of information out there about the production process. It's about his values, what he thought of women, what he thought of the world, his ideas, and then what he did to the Grimm's tale to make it fit that. I mean, for example, Snow White in the Grimm's fairy tale, she was only seven years old, you know. Did you know that?
0: I did not know that. I knew that Snow White in Disney's version was 14. I found that out recently, but I had no
1: idea she was seven. She was seven, and the, the, the evil queen was her natural mother in the first Really? Month.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ask yourself what's going on there.
0: Yeah, that, that just makes it all the more disturbing.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, But that was just one of the things. So it was his idea to make her—he uh, wanted to put her at the edge of sexuality— the prince, the whole thing about the kiss of love, uh, and you know, and how that wakes her up and it gets her reborn, which, by the way, has all kinds of religious uh, connotations to it, especially the Christian religion. But in the Grimm's fairy tale, you don't—that's not what happened. The, the prince wants the coffin; it's made out of uh, gold and cut glass. And he thinks the coffin is beautiful. And she just happens to be in it. I mean, he's heard that, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I I mean, he's heard, he's heard, you know, that she's there and he agrees that she's beautiful, but it's really the coffin that he's after. And his soldiers pick up the coffin to carry it back to his castle and they drop it, they trip. And when the thing falls on the ground. The jolt knocks the poison apple piece out of her throat, and that's what wakes her up. And once she's awake, then the prince says, "Oh well, oh, aren't you something?" And then he takes her off to the castle. But Disney made up all that stuff about the kiss, the prince's kiss, and love and being reborn, and that's all Walt Disney. Now Good you thing may not too, agree because
0: I'm hearing that story, going, "Oh, this story sounds awful." Now it's like, yeah, I just wanted this really fancy box oh, this girl happens to be in it. Okay, you can come too. Like, ugh.
1: <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that's what the, that's what was going on. But uh, you don't have to agree. I'm, I'm not suggesting that today's animators make Snow White all over again. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying watch this process of what Walt Disney did with the original material and how he changed it to, to reflect his personal values to the degree that he would sign the movie. Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. At that time, he didn't even want to give screen credit to the animators. You know, mm. I mean, they they had to go on strike in order to get proper credit from him. But he wanted he was it reflected him his view. And so, part one of the book is all about that. Part two is an overview of where animation is on an international level. I talk about. The kind of movies that are being made in different countries and in the European Union and in China. I talk about China, some different countries. It's a survey of how movies are being made, how many movies or how much money is being invested in movies, etc. And then the third part of the book basically is a manifesto for today's animators and encouraging them to speak their values, to find their values. And then I analyze uh, several movies. I have complete acting analysis of them on a scene-by-scene, time-coded basis, uh, so they can just get the DVD. I have uh, the, do the Lego Movie, I have Frozen, and uh, Inside Out, and and then also uh, Chico and Rita, mm-hmm. and Ari Folman's movie Waltz of Bashir, mm-hmm. from Israel. So I do complete acting analysis of all those. So that's what the book is. And it's a guide to these movies and a, and, and a suggestion of a way to look at yourself as an artist.
0: Well, that is fantastic. And that's going to be an excellent resource
1: for everybody. I hope so. Mm-hmm. I, I worked very hard on this book. I, You know, acting for animators is an acting book. I mean, I, I talk about the craft of acting in there, you know, soup to nuts, how to, how to do it. You know, I start with defining what acting is and then, and I build it and explain about what to do and, and, and how to do it. This book, Craft Notes for Animators, really is a perspective. In fact, that's the subtitle. It's a perspective for a 21st century career. And I think that animators today are going, to, are going to have new production models. I mean, you're familiar with Chico and Rita, for example. Mm-hmm. You know how that movie was made? You know, it was based in Barcelona, the production office. Of course, the story deals with uh, musicians in the 1940s and 50s in Cuba and New York. But the production office was in Barcelona and... What they did was they raised money to make this movie from, I don't know how many, 11 different countries. And then in every country where they raised money, they hired animators from that country. And then the animators worked from their homes. Or if they had small studios, they worked in the small studios, and they all collaborated over the internet. They weren't even in a single place. And... A number of movies have been made like this. Ari Folman makes his movies the same way where they cobble it all together. I mean you can you can raise five hundred thousand dollars off a of Kickstarter. You can do it. You can piece it together. I think that animators coming out of animation school today, or not coming out of animation, self-taught, they could be self-taught if they want. But I think that it has been the case that the only real career opportunities for them have been if they could land a job at either a video game company or one of the big studios like Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks, one of them. I think that's changing. I think you're going to have more entrepreneurial kind of approaches with these production models. You're going to see much more movies that are being made like Chico and Rita with animators from different countries and working independently and then collaborating over the Internet and then having different kind of release patterns. They're just not all going to go to the cinema, to the main cinema. Some of them are going to go directly to Netflix or or whatever. And it's a new world. I tell you, it was only... Toy Story came out in 1995. Mm So... I'm bad with math. What is, how long ago was oh, that? Gosh, is that 20, you're asking me. <laughs> 20, 20 years, 25 years, yeah. 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, but that, that isn't long. That's our lifetime, your lifetime, my lifetime, since Toy Story came out. And look at how far the industry has come in this period of time. Look at how much animation has changed, where it's evolved to. I mean, just technically, I mean, you're talking about Frozen. Gorgeous movie. And look at the awesome techniques in that thing. Well,
0: not only that, but just the number of studios and also, you know, before, like I've talked to people where they were majoring in animation in the 80s and everybody just asked them, why? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. That is insane. I told mm-hmm. my parents, I'm gonna go, you know, I want to major in animation. I want to work at a big studio. And their reaction was, Oh, that's great. You know, if I had been college age in the eighties and have told that, they would have looked at me and said, What the heck are you doing? Why are you mm-hmm. doing this? So just even the public perception from people that aren't even in the industry is so much more positive because of all of these movies, because of all mm-hmm. the technological advances. I mean, it's to me, it's insane. Just how many people just know about it and just love it.
1: Exactly. And and that's growing. And just wait until it gains more respect as an art form mm-hmm. and to where people at least stop saying all the time that animation is just a branch of cartoons and cartoons are for kids. Mm-hmm. That's the next big thing. We, there, there needs to be movies with thoughtful adult uh, themes. We need some of those. There's a market for them. You just can't spend $200 million on Mm -hmm. them. Maybe at some point, people will be able to spend that kind, but you can't do it right now. So you're talking about movies that cost a million dollars, $2 million at most. I mean, you got to be able to make your money back. So that's how you do it. You keep the budget down, and then you make a movie that's worth seeing. And you'll make your money back. You'll get your money. You'll be able to make a living... Practicing your art form, being an artist. And I just think that it's an exciting time right now for animators. We're gonna look back on this fifty years from now, you're gonna look back on this time as golden time. I know people sitting around without a job, they're they're saying, Okay, what's he talking about? But I, I I just know that it's nothing but opportunity out there right now. The thing is the tribe, I mean there's a need Because the world is in such a shape it's in, and there's a need for shamans, there's a need for good stories, and the art form, the technology, and the art form, it's all converged all at one time. It's a perfect time for animation. And so exciting. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And every day I'm I'm excited about it all over again. That is
0: wonderful. And Ed, I have to tell you, it has been amazing getting to talk with you today and just hearing your story and just not only just hearing your story and about your books and your acting career and teaching people, but just your thoughts on the industry and just what artists can do and what artists are capable
1: of. Well, I just I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity to be here and to talk with you. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Thank you. I Thanks very much. And uh, I'll be looking for that movie right. that you're about to make. Very much so, sir. And that
0: concludes my interview with Ed Hooks. Special thanks again to Ed for being a wonderful guest. And make sure to check out his newest book, Craft Notes for Animators by visiting the podcast website, www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the Amazon banner and going and purchasing his book. You'll be glad you did. And if you want to find out, and if you want to learn even more about Ed and find out when his next touring dates will be for his lectures, make sure to visit his website, www.edhooks.com. There you will find links to all of his books, as well as information on upcoming places where he will be, his Facebook page, and you can also subscribe to his newsletter. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to give it a five-star review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting the website. Again, that's www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal banner ad on the right-hand corner as well as supporting all of our sponsors, amazon.com, audible.com, Blueberry Podcast Hosting, and Loot Crate. Every time you click on those banner ads and subscribe or make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show. All of those are great services. I highly recommend every single one of them. I know that all of you out there will enjoy them as well. And to see what else is going on in the wonderful world of animation, make sure to check out the Facebook, Tumblr, instagram and twitter pages on facebook it's facebook.com slash the animated journey on tumblr it's the animated and the handle for both twitter and instagram is at animjourney that's a-n-i-m-j-o-u-r-n-e-y and to see what i've been up to lately make sure to visit my sites online my website is www.sketchysoul.com On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash sketchysoul. On Tumblr, the address is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on both Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So thank you again to everyone for listening. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.